when exactly I should retire or will retire uh, has many complex parts to it. I think I'm aware of most of them, and uh, I am and will consider them. Well, what are the factors that adjust? Oh, there are quite a few, and I'm not going beyond what I said for the simple reason that I would like this interview uh, to be about my book. Essentially, when people say, when are you going to retire, they're afraid you're going to die when a Republican's in office and they won't replace someone who is more in keeping with your judicial philosophy. How do you feel about all the speculation about how long Stephen Breyer's going to uh, I myself would prefer not to die, period. This is It Happened One Year, a look back at the events big and small, famed and forgotten from... 1994. Hey, everybody. Woo! Welcome to the show. Here we are. Can you believe it? We're doing it again. Uh -huh. beat, you, beat you to it. <laughs> Amazingly, we are doing it again. That's I true. knew it was going to come out of your mouth next, and I was like, ha-ha, and I jumped right in. You say it every time. I do, but uh, that's because it happened one year. 1994. 1994. Yeah. Yeah, we're still doing 1994. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. We have not changed format yet. It was funny. I was talking to my sister about this the other day, and we were saying about, like, she was asking, like, well, what's the plan going forward? Like, if you do another year, you're just going to pick a different year. And I was like, yeah, we've sort of talked. Like, we have no great idea of how to pick that year, but that we think yeah. it would be funny to just pick a year that we can't do anything about, like, 1923, and we do, like, four episodes and then just bail on it. So <laughs> tune in. Season two might be very brief. <laughs> Honestly, the fact that we didn't do four episodes of this and bail on it is pretty impressive for us. I got to be honest. If it wasn't for the pandemic, I feel like we would not have gotten this far. Oh, no, certainly no. not. No. Yeah. As I mean, we've we've recorded dozens of episodes at this point. Dozens. We have. So, you know, we're really putting together quite the industry here. Yes. Yes. Nice. Nice. It gives uh, us something to do. This is the first episode we're recording where I'm using my new ring light. Ah. <laughs> Doesn't it look great on the podcast? Sounds amazing. It's a wonderful radio edition. So we actually have, I guess this is a weird episode in some regards, because while the event, the inciting incident of this whole thing took place in 94, this is going to cover more time than we have ever spent, I believe, on one episode and one topic, I believe, in a time frame thing. Because this is going to stretch us all the way back to... I believe the earliest event that we're going to talk about was in 1732. Yes. Yes. So, so, so that makes this episode unique. What I also think makes this episode unique is that we know very little about the topic we're about to cover. Um, even as I'm preparing for it, there's not a lot of like just at hand knowledge that we have. So we're going to tell you what we know and what we learned. Mm -hmm. We're going to go from there. Well, as you've seen the topic, you realize this is a pretty dry topic. So if you've already <laughs> tuned in, you're into the logic yeah. of this is going to be kind of a, a dull episode. Yes. We're not going to do that episode. I know what you're thinking. This is going to be a lot of dull politicking. Well, we are not the people for that. No, no, we're not. <laughs> I'm not, not because we have that much personality, but we don't have that kind of interest. Yes. So that is not what we're focusing on. But we did realize well after the list was compiled that there was a new Supreme Court justice in 1994, which I didn't realize. And somehow yeah. we just kind of had missed that this was the second Clinton appointee uh, in yeah. the in those years to the court. I believe he only had the two. Yeah. Uh, because I believe the court remains the same after Stephen Breyer joins until like 2005. So yeah. 
the same court. The court at that time, as comprised, was William Rehnquist was the chief justice. So it's usually referred to as the Rehnquist court. Mm-hmm. And it had John Paul Stevens, who I believe has since died. Sandra Day O'Connor retired. Antonin Scalia died. Uh, Anthony Kennedy retired. David mm-hmm. Souter retired. I think I that's true. I don't know true. what happened to Souter. Or is he, he's, or is he still on the court? Is he's uh, he's not still on the court. No, he retired. He yeah. retired 12 years ago. Yeah. Clarence Thomas is still on the court. And he Richard is. Bader Ginsburg, who died. So that's the whole group. Yeah. And Clarence Thomas is, I believe, the currently the longest serving person from this group. And Breyer is second. Yeah. Clarence yeah, Thomas was appointed by Bush, I want to say, right? Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Breyer was actually up for what became the Ruth Bader Ginsburg seat. Clinton considered nominating him and was like, mm, no, I'm going to take a lady instead. Fair. So then when the next opportunity arose, they were like, oh, OK, we could use we could use backup, the backup guy. Right. And there is sort of a historical precedent for Breyer being in that position, which we'll get to because we are going to talk about Stephen Breyer and we're going to talk about how he became a justice and what impact he has had and why is he still hanging around. And we're also going to talk about who came before Stephen Breyer in this specific seat, which I think is kind of a fun thing about the Supreme Court, because I don't know if people think of it in that regard, but it's technically the one seat. There's nine justices, but one seat when a person retires, somebody fills that seat. So technically... It has been replaced. Yeah, it's been replaced a dozen times, essentially, dating all the way back to George Washington. So, yeah, that's what we've got. Exciting stuff. So strap in. If you've actually started playing this episode, you must at least have some basic interest in this. Right. Or is it just our dazzling personalities? (laughs) I would assume it's both. I don't know. So what have you got for Stephen Breyer? Sarah, if you haven't guessed, is the slightly more politically savvy and politically minded one of the two of us. And so she'll be leading the modern politics end of this. I'm going to give it a shot. Anyway, I do follow the outcomes and and the uh, rulings of the Supreme Court, though I can't say I am a deep expert in the workings of the court or judicial theory or law of any of those things. So I'm going to give it a shot. But basically, Stephen Breyer, of course, he is considered a liberal judge. He was Clinton appointee. Um, he, you know, typically sides with like it like it's a game it is sides with the most dangerous game it is the most dangerous game um but the thing about briar that that seems to be true in terms of the way he interprets law is that he is actually considered the most pragmatic person on the court so where your conservative justices are textualists right they interpret law word for word and don't take into account the intention of the law or the consequences Breyer actually says that the intention of the law or the purpose of the law and the consequences of of the decisions that the Supreme Court are making are things that not just we should consider, but that are important tools in making decisions as a Supreme Court justice. So that's what leads him to most of his uh, liberal rulings and opinions, because, you know, if you consider the consequences, you would never write a conservative opinion. I agree that the Supreme Court justices are a bunch of important tools. (laughs) Boom. You know, I saw that in your eyes. I saw there was something there that was waiting <laughs> to come out and I was I, I wasn't sure what it was gonna be. Yeah. Yep. So that's Briar. I mean, that's the nuts and bolts of Briar's judicial theory. Like very practical, very pragmatic, very much takes into account, you know, of if we make this decision or or in making this decision, what are the consequences for society? What are the consequences for the country? What are the consequences for for law? The other thing that 
he encourages, and I think is what he wrote his first book about, is is leveraging the law and his opinions to encourage popular participation in government. So I don't know that this actually comes out in a lot of his opinions, but the theory is this would be pushing things to Congress, asking laws to be addressed versus uh, working through the judicial system in order to get things done. So that's more, it's more the idea that laws should be being made outside of the Supreme Court. Yes. Right. That they shouldn't be the one having to decide this sort of thing. Right. 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 And that's what pretty much every justice says in some form. Um, This was like his first book was about this. So the justices now are on this campaign about like how the Supreme Court isn't influenced by politics. And, you know, we shouldn't be setting law through the Supreme Court. Like he's coming out and saying it. But even like Barrett and Kavanaugh are coming out and saying the same thing, because I think the court is so politicized right now. Yeah. but. Even though all the decisions they make come down on political lines. Oh, yeah, of course. Al- almost across the board. Yeah, especially now that we have a bigger majority, at least when there was an even balance, except for the chief justice, John Roberts, he would like swing one way or the other. I think, you know, some of the theory is so that it, the court would seem less political, like he was the swing vote. But now we have so many conservative justices that he just agrees with the conservative majority and has thrown out any sort of idea that the court isn't going to be viewed as political because it certainly is. I think it's interesting, too, because if you go back to who Breyer replaced, Breyer again, appointed in 1994, replaced a guy named Harry Blackman, who was appointed by Nixon in 1970. And Blackman was then later considered the most liberal justice on the court, appointed by Nixon. So it's odd that, like, how that even took place. But again, I don't know if it was the court was viewed the way it is now, where it was such a let's pick a really conservative justice, let's pick a really liberal justice. I think they were maybe more picking based on their skills as a judge or something. And that, that, you know, that you can go from that. And then you would end up with a more or less partial group. It would be based yeah. more on law and things like that yeah and and, and, the, and and they say like they still like waver only on judicial theory not on political ideology but the problem is you can very easily tie judicial theory to political ideology so right. it's exactly. kind of hard to be like that that actually matters that they say that that's a difference but yeah yeah, yeah i mean i think it was Breyer was confirmed at, like an 80 to 20 senate vote or something crazy like most yeah. justices prior to the current day were confirmed with majorities because they were i mean there are certainly exceptions there have been justices who have been rejected by congress like there are certain exceptions but a lot of justices were approved by large majorities because they were qualified and that was the only lens that they had to apply right it's really more the kind of modern republican plan of gaming the entire system that has created the situation that we're in yeah i don't want to completely like lay that blame i'm sure the democrats do this somewhat everything has become a zero-sum win or lose thing yeah But that does seem to have become a much bigger deal in the last 20 years than it was before. I mean, they will going forward. Democrats really took a long time to get the memo that the courts really mattered. And so they just like kind of went along the same way. Oh, yeah, just pick people who are qualified. That's the right thing to do. Right. But now we're like, oh, pack the court. Oh, that's what you have to do. You have to pack the court. Okay, sure. Sure. So we're a little behind. And they're openly putting just, you know, ideological monsters on the Supreme Court now that that's that's where we're headed. And and yet they won't expand the court. So I don't know, you know, Democratic president. Thank God this worked out. Anyway, (laughs) Harry Blackman. Harry Blackman. 1970, 
the most appointed by Nixon, and he authored Roe versus Wade. That's that's how yeah. crazy the fact that that exists is that he was that guy. He retired at 85, and that was what opened the door for Breyer, the uh, the, the proud son of Nashville, not Nashville, Tennessee, Nashville, Illinois. That's an actual town. <laughs> uh, Harry Blackman, 1908. Oh my God! Should we get like cowboy hats and cowboy boots and go to Nashville, Illinois, and be like, "Wait, where's all the bars?" We should. I'm sure there's a bar <laughs> there, and they would not welcome us. I, I don't think that we would fit in in Nashville, Illinois. That Probably is, uh, it is not yeah. a suburb of Chicago, yeah. which is the only safe bubble to be in in Illinois. <laughs> what i didn't know is that harry blackman is my hero i had no idea until reading about this so i know i've got all the rbg swag that all of the all the ladies my age have but i I guess i gotta get a notorious hb uh (laughs) t-shirt harry b uh, harry b (laughs) yeah my man so yeah he joined the court in 1970 and replaced uh abe fortas who was the justice right before him. And he had only been a justice for a couple of years. He was appointed by LBJ in 1965. The proud son of Memphis. Yes, Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, nice. Uh, Abe Fortas, who had to resign uh, because of ethics violations. <laughs> uh, now, there have been there's some speculation about whether or not he actually did anything. He claimed he didn't, but he was associated with people who were trying to like leverage his power in the court and his existing relationship with LBJ to get pardoned for various skeevy crimes and things that they were doing. But that was, uh, that was the end of Abe Fortas's career. So he was only a justice 1965 to 1969. The seat sat open for a year uh, and then Nixon put in Harry Blackman. So should we refer to him as uh, dishonest Abe? Dishonest Abe. Indeed. (laughs) I feel bad. I don't know. I don't know if Abe Fortas actually did it. There's a lot of conflicting information about it. Uh, I would assume if he resigned from the Supreme court, I think he may have been a little worried about yeah. what sort of jail time he might be uh, looking yeah. at. So that would be right. my guess. But through the lens of history, uh, what's to say? We can go with possibly honest Abe. Possibly honest Abe. Yeah. <laughs> Allegedly honest Abe. All right. Do we want to talk a little bit about where if we if we shift back to Breyer, you want to talk a little bit about where Breyer came from? Is that? Yeah. What's the Stephen the- Breyer origin story? How did he Ooh. become the Supreme Court justice that he is today? I got to tell you, I uh, I was reading up on Stephen Breyer's early life, and it was boring. Yawn. <laughs> Dullsville. <laughs> he is from Dullsville, Illinois. <laughs> Dullsville. Uh, all right. He was born in San Francisco. Good for him. Yawn. Um, he was a Boy Scout. Uh, yeah. He was an Eagle Scout. Oh, no. Yeah. His brother was an Eagle Scout. Oh, he that's did, not he even wasn't even an Eagle Scout. <laughs> <laughs> no, his brother was. Uh, his brother's like a federal district judge, but uh, uh, I guess. What's his name? Like Dave Breyer? <laughs> Uh, Chuck Breyer. Oh, Chuck. Char- Charles Breyer. What I'm a little bit confused about, and I'm going to just reveal my lack of knowledge of how the law and its systems work. He appears to have three bachelor's degrees, okay. which seems pointless. You would have think at one point he would have gone a little bit further, but he got a BA in philosophy and then he got another BA oh, from Oxford in oh. philosophy, politics and economics. And then he went to attend Harvard Law School, where he got a Bachelor of Laws degree, which Ooh. isn't like a law. It's just a bachelor's yeah. degree, right? I don't know much about how law school works, but I have a feeling he might have been like the president of his fraternity and he just wanted to stay in college forever. He was Van Wilder, essentially, but he kept <laughs> going to different schools. <laughs> Stephen Breyer was at a party. We're going streaking. Yeah, <laughs> but he's just wearing a robe because he knew what was coming. <laughs> Whips off the robe and then out he goes. Gavel hanging out and just doing it. 
Oh, yeah. So based on everything that I know, he has three bachelor's degrees. He spent eight years in the Army Reserves, which is good. He became a corporal. Nice. Is that good? Corporal Briar. And then he married a lady who's a psychologist, and she uh, is also a member of the British aristocracy. So I guess that's just something we can do now is have the Brits infiltrating our government. So I, I thought we I thought we were past that. But apparently, you know who wouldn't agree with any of that? George Washington. <laughs> true. Not Get into out it. of here. Not into you, it. You limey bastards. <laughs> <laughs> so then he like he clerked with a, a Supreme Court justice named Arthur Goldberg. And then he worked on a couple like really boring uh, special topics like airline deregulation Ugh. and copyright law. He felt very strongly that copyrights probably shouldn't be a thing. And we certainly shouldn't make copyright laws more strict. Mm. So very strong opinions there. I think um, uh, I think Big Disney would disagree with all of that. <laughs> yeah. And worked with uh, Ted Kennedy on the Airline Deregulation Act, which seems like not a great thing. It closed off the Civil Aeronautics Board, which like investigated airline issues. And he was like, no, none of that. Fascinatingly boring. Oh, my God. So yawn, yawn. Yeah. And that takes us to when he was appointed to the U.S. Court of Appeals. So should we take an interlude? And uh, We should, because you've already mentioned the next person. Supreme Court Justice Arthur Goldberg. Nice. He actually took this same seat down the road. Uh, the man he was a law clerk for. Arthur Goldberg, born in Chicago, Illinois, 1908. And uh, Arthur Goldberg was uh, was a, a justice for only a couple years, 1962 to 1965. He was appointed by JFK. Heard of him? I have. And uh, he resigned to become the UN ambassador in uh, in 65 under LBJ. So that was Arthur Goldberg's whole big run. Uh, before that, he was the Secretary of Labor. He was in the OSS, which was the precursor to the CIA. And he had just a, a solid dynamite career, but resigned at 57 to go to be the UN ambassador. But there's kind of a theme with when exactly people get out of the Supreme Court justice game. And I'll tell you, it's not at age 57. <laughs> that, is, <laughs> that is not how this tends to go. That was Arthur Goldberg, appointed by JFK. Immediately preceding him was not there. So now we've had a couple people who have been a justice for a couple years. Abe Fortas, four years, and Arthur Goldberg, three years. However, prior to him, Felix Frankfurter. Appointed to the Supreme Court in 1939 by your friend and mine, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Wait, that's not a real name. Felix Frankfurter. Get out of here. Ich bin ein Frankfurter, Felix Frankfurter. <laughs> he was born in Vienna, because apparently that's something that you can do. I didn't realize we were allowing uh, dirty Austrians to be on the Supreme Court. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure people in Austria are great, but you know who was born in Austria? Hitler. Oh my anyway, God! <laughs> I'm, no, I'm, this is a joke. You, you should cut that. Oh my God! We have never had a single listener from Austria. So as soon as that happens, I will make a formal apology to the entire country. Until that point, suck it, Austria. Uh, he was born in Austria, 1882. Oh my and, God! And uh, he was—he was a very uh, solidly liberal justice, uh, but he was a justice for so long that his rulings covered a, a spans of time so that on one hand, he originally was part of a ruling that was not allowing 
free speech to cover somebody who didn't want to like stand for the Pledge of Allegiance in the 40s. So that oh. seems ridiculous and way too far to the right. Yeah. But then he also was part of the overwhelming majority rulings on Brown versus Board of Education and Brown too. So by that point, things had changed pretty considerably. But this was Felix Frankfurter's career. He uh, retired after he had a stroke at the age of 79, which oh my is God. more in line with the way Supreme Court justices work. So given his ideological swing, should we call him Fairweather Frankfurter? <laughs> I I would say that that's, that's, that would totally be accurate. Felix <laughs> flip-flopping Frankfurter. It's a good, uh, it's a good tw- tongue twister for the children. Round and round the rugged rock, the ragged rascal ran. Felix flip-flopping Frankfurter. <laughs> totally works. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, speaking of flip-flopping. Flip-flopping. To pivot forward to Breyer's nomination to the Supreme Court, he had been serving on in the U.S. Court of Appeals since 1980 at the time of his Supreme Court nomination. He was nominated to the U.S. Court of Appeals by Jimmy Carter. Wikipedia thinks he did nothing interesting during this period of time. So oh. basically we were like, mm, no, I got nothing. Except I don't think we need to he- read whole biographies of this guy just to find interesting facts from this period of time. <laughs> it's really hard. Yeah. Um, the only interesting fact I found about this period of time is that he was one of his duties of, as uh, chief judge of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the First Circuit was to oversee the design and construction of a new federal courthouse for Boston. So he was like a, a low, low-key architect during this period of time. Must have been a very downtime in uh, judicial rulings if he's just on the side with the blueprints pointing yeah. out where the bathroom should be. Seems yeah. bad. He was like, have we thought about columns here? Mm, I think columns. <laughs> and we could um, use more staircases and maybe a dumbwaiter. <laughs> that was my Stephen Breyer impression. That was, it was beautiful. It was yeah. beautiful. Well, but to the point about flip-flopping, there was a seat in 1993 three vacated by byron white and bill clint was like maybe Stephen Breyer, but then he was like no no ruth bader ginsburg so Breyer got the shaft and uh had to wait another year but then did get appointed to the supreme court following harry blackman's retirement as you mentioned and joined the supreme court or i guess he was confirmed to the supreme court nominated in may confirmed i believe in december oh that took a long time is that right I mean, everybody was caught up with OJ, so I guess that I see it. Oh, you know, nope. times. <laughs> that was a straight up incorrect fact. Oh. Nominated in May, confirmed in July. Oh, oh, well, okay. Eighty-seven to nine was the. Oh, vote. that's not that's not so bad. That's not yeah. so bad. I don't know yeah. what happened. I feel like oh, he was confirmed to the. You know what? This doesn't matter. It wasn't December. <laughs> Something else was December. I'm not gonna. I'm not, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> we don't need to talk about Christmas 1994. <laughs> we all know that it happened. It's fine. Stephen Breyer, however, was not celebrating it because he is Jewish. And I do want to get into this because this is actually an interesting fact. Let's do it. Prior to Felix Frankfurter, the seat was held by a man named Benjamin Cardozo, who was appointed by Herbert Hoover in 1932. Uh, Held the seat for seven years and died in office, if you want to call it office, at the age of 68. He was uh, not super old, dying at 68, but back then life expectancy was only, what, like 25? So come on, he did pretty good. Uh, He was born in New York City in 1870. What I think is interesting is this seat, all the way been up to Breyer, uh, with the exception of Harry Blackman, was always referred to as the Jewish seat of the Supreme Court, which seems weirdly racist, but there's an actual reason for this. And the idea was... Before Cardozo, the only Jewish Supreme Court justice was Louis Brandeis, who was still on the Supreme Court when Cardozo 
joined. And then they, him and another guy named Harlan Stone formed this little triumvirate that they called the Three Musketeers. And they would vote together and things like that. But as each successive person took this seat, the pattern started to emerge that they were all Jewish. And so Cardozo, Felix Frankfurter, Arthur Goldberg, Abe Fortas, all Jewish, right? And then after Abe Fortas leaves uh, in 69, in the cloud of scandal, there's not another Jewish justice until Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Now it's a different seat, but then this seat is the Breyer seat eventually. So then that also technically counts it. You never hear this referred to this way anymore. This is a very old world thing and probably for the best that that's that's gone by the wayside. But in looking this up, I realized as I kept going that this was this seat and everybody, they kept referencing it. And yeah. I, it, it made it felt gross at first. And then I was like, oh, well, I guess this makes sense. Like this was yeah. a pattern. I don't think it was consciously being done that way. But yeah, this is the way this it's, emerged over. Time. It, it's just Harry Blackman screwed it up. Harry Blackman did not fit in with this theme. But again, Abe Fortas probably should have been a justice longer if he hadn't become so mired in scandal, maybe of his own making or maybe not. He was friends yeah. with a guy named Lewis Wolfson who screwed it all up for him. Oh, no kidding. Uh, so if you're a descendant of Lewis Wolfson, I don't know. You, I don't have, I don't have, a, I don't know. He seemed like he was a piece of. Shit. I have no idea. Oh my god! But that, I, look at, I'm just taking swings. Him, the Austrians. You know what? Coming out, hot. the Bears lost today, and I'm not in a good mood. Yeah. Uh, Benjamin Cardozo. He was a justice for all of seven years, and he followed probably the most famous. Well, maybe not the most famous. In the top two or three most famous justices of the early half of the 20th century. And that's Oliver Wendell Holmes, who was the justice from 1902 to 1932. Nice. And to this day is still the oldest person to ever be a Supreme Court justice. By the end of his tenure, he was 90. Oh, my God. is just older than, I want to say, John Paul Stevens was like 89 when he retired or when he died. So that was Oliver Wendell Holmes. He was appointed by Teddy Roosevelt, 1902. And he was born in Boston, Massachusetts in 1841. Oh, my God. That was Oliver Wendell Holmes. He's the third most cited 20th century legal figure uh, by some journals' estimation of how this works. Wow. Scholar and a progressive, Oliver Wendell. Oliver Wendell Holmes. Yeah. And so you would say the Supreme Court, really his forte, uh, being on the Supreme Court, Oliver Wendell Holmes. Yes. Unlike, say, Abe Fortas, not his Fortas. Not not his Fortas. No, he was a terrible Uh, Supreme Court justice. Yeah. So speaking of uh, your Fortas... I want to talk a little bit about some of Breyer's opinions mm. uh, in his time on the Supreme Court. Do you know uh, his favorite ice cream flavor? <laughs> I don't. Oh, these aren't the type of opinions? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I thought you were going to make an ice cream themed joke about Stephen Breyer, and I was excited. Oh, was right, you know, uh, I really uh, dropped the ball on that one. You dropped the ball. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it does not please the court. <laughs> okay, so uh, I'm going to talk first about two uh, more recent opinions, um, but one really fitting in the wheelhouse of Stephen Breyer. So the first, certainly aligned to his ideology, he wrote the plurality opinion on an abortion case in 2020 that struck down Louisiana's rule that any doctor who performed abortions had to have admitting privileges at a hospital within 30 miles. 
miles, which is just one of the many ways that anti-abortion legislators have tried to restrict women's access to abortions through technicalities and, and rules and things like that. So Breyer reaffirmed that the whole benefits and burdens test that he created in um, an earlier case, uh, that this did not pass that test and therefore struck down that ruling, which was one of the ways in which the Supreme Court was protecting abortion rights, which has seemed to have gone out the window recently. So uh, not so good. 2021, bad year for abortion rights. Bad year for abortion. Um, 2021, though, good year for Breyer and his wheelhouse because he also got to write the majority opinion in a case called Google v. Oracle that was all about whether or not Google could copy uh, lines of Java code. So right in his copyright laws wheelhouse. He does have that copyright hard on that no one can explain. (laughs) The opinion that he wrote was 38 pages long. Ooh, you're telling me he didn't copy any of that? Come on. (laughs) He definitely opened up an encyclopedia and was just copying paragraphs. Basically, the opinion was that they could do it. Yeah. Like, that's all. It would have three lines. They can do it. Good for them. Go Google. That's all it needed to be. I would like to take the text of that ruling and hold it up against a Michelle Obama speech. I suspect it's word for word. (laughs) Same thing. Potentially. So Breyer Wright and his very exciting copyright law wheelhouse also right, very on brand with being boring as hell. God, mm. yawn. Ugh. So dull. Dullsville. Copyright law. You know who wasn't born in Dullsville? Supreme Court Justice Horace Gray. <laughs> he was born in Boston, Massachusetts in 1828. Was appointed to the Supreme Court in 1882 by Chester A. Arthur. President number 21, Chester Arthur. Ah, boy, what a guy. Uh, Horace Gray has nothing interesting about his time in the Supreme Court, even though he was there for 20 years before Oliver Wendell Holmes. He resigned at the age of 74, which is a little more in line with the way people leave the Supreme Court in this era and around that age. 74 seems like a good age, especially in eight, in 1902 when he oh, resigns. Yeah. Uh, that is basically like living to 150 now. So well done, Horace Gray. A good 20-year run. And he also followed another person with a long run, a man by the name of Nathan Clifford, the pride of Rumney, New Hampshire. He was born in 1803 and was appointed to the Supreme Court in 1858 under the worst president of all time, James Buchanan. He's one of the few people to have served in all three branches of the government. Uh, He was a member of the House and he was the Attorney General under James K. Polk, the 11th president. And that's Nathan Clifford's whole career. Wow. You want to talk Dullesville? A lot of these mid-19th century justices, there's not a lot of real exciting stuff. Not a lot of information there. No. All right. I didn't mean to bring us down, so let's pick it back up. I'm going to feature a couple more ways in which Stephen Breyer really got it right for us. One, he did write the majority opinion in 2021 on a case called California v. Texas, which held that Texas and other states lacked standing to sue against the Affordable Care Act's individual mandate. Congress did eventually make, I think they zeroed out the individual mandate fine. So basically made it in essence, in practice, weakened it and eliminated it, even if it still exists. But uh, yeah, he tried to help us in uh, keeping the ACA intact as the Trump administration Republicans tried to tear it down. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you, Stephen Breyer, for your efforts, though I will say the outcome, not ideal. You know, I, ACK is a complicated uh, monkey to deal with. Yep. It, uh, it has a lot of uh, tricky ins and outs and whatnots, but for the most part, a pretty good piece of legislation that they probably yep. could have just fixed up. 
yeah. as opposed to with the Republicans who wanted to pull it out with nothing to replace it. Uh, and the Democrats who have sort of managed to keep it going, but it is, it's, it's a shell of what it was even 10 years ago. Yeah, indeed. Uh, but I will say the other way that Breyer uh, helped us, he didn't write the opinion, but he did dissent in a case that held up uh, partisan gerrymandering and wrote in his dissent that gerrymandering, not a great thing. Oh, it's well, uh, pretty bad for us. Good. Uh, uh, well I'm going to those are my words, not his. I'm going to say I'll use his words. Uh, they, it, gerrymandering fails to advance any plausible Democratic objective uh, and simultaneously threatens serious Democratic harm. Agree. Uh, I would like to paraphrase this with uh, gerrymandering is a bunch of dirty, f-ery. dirty. F-ery. And I think that uh, it's uh, just bad pool all around. Yeah. Now, you know who really liked dissenting? That's right. Supreme Court Justice Benjamin Curtis. Born in Watertown, Massachusetts in 1809. Did you call it the Supreme Corn? I think you did. The Supreme Corn. That's out in the that's out in the fields. Yeah. And the Scarecrow, he rules over the Supreme Corn. <laughs> Chief Justice Scarecrow, lording it over the crows. Uh, but no lie, Benjamin Curtis uh, was one of the dissenters on Dred Scott. So Benjamin Curtis, uh, you know, I mean... A, l- a couple people dissented on Dred Scott. This wasn't sure. it wasn't just him, but uh, in an era when Dred Scott passed and then was a complete mess for a yeah. long time and a, a, a evil racist bunch of legislation, this was something he was uh, against, which was good. Uh, but he was later the defense counsel for Andrew Johnson's impeachment trial, so it's hard to say whether Benjamin Curtis was a great legislator or not. I, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little torn. Uh, he was the uh, Supreme Court justice for seven years in this seat. He was appointed by Millard Fillmore, 1851. Oh, my God. That's Benjamin Curtis's run. We're going pretty far back. Oh, and we're going to keep going back because you know who was before him? Levi Woodbury. Wow. Everyone's favorite Supreme Court justice from Francistown, New Hampshire, born in 1789. I mean, now we're really talking. The French Revolution took place, 1789. And you know who else emerged? Levi Woodbury. Oh, my God. He was the first justice to go to law school. <laughs> so before that, it was just a lot of guessing. Uh, he also he served in all sorts of different uh, administrations and parts of the government. He was the he was a senator from New Hampshire. He was the governor of New Hampshire at one point. He was the secretary of the Treasury under both Andrew Jackson and Martin Van Buren. Uh, Levi Woodbury. Uh, I He might be the namesake of Woodbury, Connecticut, but I have nothing to back that up. Just taking a guess at it, even though he seemed to spend his whole life in New Hampshire and is the proud son of New Hampshire, the Granite <laughs> State. Is that right? Is it? I don't know. Levi I, Woodbury. I have no idea what uh, kind of state. New, I mean, I don't want to judge New Hampshire's quality. I don't know. But I don't know what kind of state New Hampshire is. Is it I'm Granite? Sure I don't know. If you're going east to west, you were through there so quick, you could blink and miss New Hampshire. I have to say, I probably take it for granted. You can laugh at that if you want. I'm sorry. <laughs> when the puns come out, I don't know if it's better to leave silence or ch- slight chuckling. <laughs> so I want hearty laughter. Hearty. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. Thank you. Levi um, Woodbury. You know, you know what doesn't uh, elicit hearty laughter? What's mm. happening to voting rights in this country? <laughs> <laughs> but I will say. Segway. 
segue. Is this a tour of the lakefront in Chicago? Because that was a hell of a segue. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, so the last uh, kind of uh, group of decisions and opinions that I want to talk about that Breyer was involved in were associated with, with voting rights. Breyer actually has dissented on a number of cases challenging voting rights or you know, mostly with uh, the, the other uh, liberal justices, Ginsburg, Kagan, all of our Sotomayor, all of our all, all of our buddies over there, um, mm. including the you know joining a dissent in the five four Shelby County v Holder, which is basically one of the worst things the Supreme Court has done in recent history, completely gutting the Voting Rights Act, saying that racism is no longer a thing and we don't have to worry about it, so we don't need to oversee voting rights for minorities. Which Breyer, to his credit, was like, I don't love that. Yeah. I don't think that's a great idea. Yeah. Um. So. So dissented there. Um, he dissented on cases about uh, overturning or extending voting deadlines, always in favor of voting rights and making access to voting easier and making voting longer and, and all of those things that make it easier for people to vote, including in the COVID-19 pandemic, but even before that. And so, so Breyer, as you would guess, staunch supporter of voting rights. So thanks, bud, for nice. all of your efforts. But uh, most of those things uh, did not go in our favor because of conservatives. Yeah, it's nice that uh, the liberals are sticking up for liberal causes, even in a completely futile effort in recent years. But as was written by the uh, great author of the Bring It On musical, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who lives, who dies, who tells your story. And you know who's (laughs) going to tell that story right now? That would be me talking about the second Supreme Court justice in this seat, Joseph Story, who was born in Marblehead, Massachusetts in 1770. Wow, that was, I mean, you must have thought about that for a while. All the way around while you were talking. I didn't hear a word you said. He was born in 1812 by Jamie Madison, all five foot four of him, and he ended up dying in this seat at the age of 65, 1945. Levi Woodbury took over. Joseph Story, interestingly enough, uh, wrote the Supreme Court decision on the Amistad case, which I think was a largely forgotten story. In it's not to, not to make the pun out of Joe Story's life, uh, a largely forgotten tale until the Steven Spielberg movie from 1997 about the Amistad case. But he wrote the decision, and the decision it was basically. You never, did you ever see Amistad? Do you know what Amistad's about? I have not seen Amistad. Oh, Amistad's it's it's underrated. It's not a perfect movie but it's a solid movie it's a really interesting story and it's the slaves took over the ship that they were kidnapped on and they killed everybody who was there there who had captured them and then they went on trial for doing this and the Amistad decision said that they were in the right because they had been kidnapped from their homeland and and done this so even though slavery itself wasn't uh, done away with yet this was again the early 1800s the slave trade itself had certain laws, I guess, or there were certain ways of doing things that I get I, that somehow made it acceptable. It's it's an ugly bit of history, but at the same time, this story, this case, actually did uh, you know further along some things that ultimately lead to uh, you know, the Civil War and the amendments yeah. for to overturn slavery. So, Joe Story, valiant effort, second man in this seat, and I guess you know let's take it all the way back. Here let's we are. We're already doing it. Let's talk about it. Who was the first person in this seat? Can you believe it? Born in uh, Scutiate, Massachusetts, which was part of British America in 1732, uh, William Cushing, 
who was the first man in this seat appointed in 1790 by none other than George Washington. Heard of him? Uh, yeah. Six foot 20, f***ing killing for fun. <laughs> William Cushing was the longest tenured original member of the Supreme Court. He was there from 1790 till 1812, and he died in the seat at the age of 78. You live to 78 in 1812. What is the equivalent of that today? I argue that's living to 210 years. <laughs> Wait, he died in the seat? Well, he died in office, uh, if you want. Uh, that he didn't. I don't think he literally died in the seat. Like that he's there great. gambling and, you know, Joe Story grabs him a coffee and then he died and Joe Story just sits down. I don't think that's how it worked. It wasn't a musical chairs situation. I guess this is my seat now. I'll just sit right down here. Maybe it was. None of these people had law degrees. I don't know how they became justices. <laughs> <laughs> like, it seems pretty simple. If you were just around, right place, right time. So preparation plus opportunity equals Joseph Story becoming the Supreme Court Justice in 1812. No idea if that's true. Oh, oh my God. I love that. So let's pivot all the way from the front of the seat to the end of this seat oh. uh, and talk about the future of Stephen Breyer, which is uh, hopefully he freaking retires. Yes. What is, what is Stephen have... Breyer's current age? Oh, he was born in 19. You're going to make me do math in front of our listeners again. <laughs> he was born in 1938. Oh, so he is 83, 83. That's correct. Well done. Uh, he's an old ass man. Mm-hmm. And he has said that he does not want to be on the Supreme Court until he dies, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. As much as I appreciate all the things RBG's done, I would rather he not pull an RBG and return us uh, an Amy Coney Barrett yeah. uh, or the like uh, if exactly. he waits much longer. So uh, let's go. So again, in his seat, the only person who served above his current age was Oliver Wendell Holmes, who retired at 90. Everyone else was gone by the time they were 83. And Oliver Wendell Holmes, again, set the record. So, yeah, yeah. I think think you can make the case that uh, it's probably time to hang it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the issue is if he doesn't and he waits until the next presidential election and we get a Republican president, that's going to give us a 7-2 Supreme Court majority. Yeah. And that will stand up for the rest of our lives. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that's not great. No, no. No. Everything hinges on Stephen Breyer just to maintain the moderate minority that we have at the current time. Yeah. I mean, I think that what really shows how busted this system is, is the effort to try to circumvent the Supreme Court on most things now, like where Congress just pushed through that abortion law, which is not going to go through the Senate. But like, you know, even the fact that they have to do this is all keyed around the idea that the Supreme Court is just not equipped to handle this kind of stuff. Well, okay, I would actually argue it's the other side, though. I, I don't I think the Supreme Court is asked to create not law, but like protect rights in a way that they shouldn't have to. Like there shouldn't be a law protecting abortion rights. And and the Supreme, it shouldn't just rely on Supreme Court precedent because then it can be very easily overturned. That's like fair. Congress should put these laws into place. But because Congress is fundamentally broken and Republicans are terrible people, like you, we can't do any of that. We can't protect voting rights. We can't do any of the things that we want to do because, you know, we have all these Republicans and we have Democrats who are basically Republicans like your Joe Manchins and your Kristen Cinemas, And, you yeah. know, it makes it very difficult to do anything that actually makes an impact or is good uh, yeah. as opposed to what Republicans want to do, which is everything that is bad. You know, this is what you want to talk about, right? 
this was hoping i was hoping this is where we would go i was trying to keep it light the whole episode and we're going to do this kind of old timey throwbacky yeah, thing no. but i knew what it comes down to is that the country's broken and our country's only, doomed there's nothing there's no fun way to dress that one up no I've, I've talked about various aspects of this show where we swerve away from a lot of the real ugly stuff that happened in 94 like we talk about some crimes and little things but yeah. we don't talk about genocide. We don't talk yeah. about war. It's just we're not equipped really to bring a gravity to that kind of conversation. And, you know, we like to try to keep things fairly light. OJ, as tragic as the actual event is, is surrounded by hilarious nonsense. Like, that's Such just what that was. Yeah. Um, but there's no funny spin on Rwanda. And that's basically the I think the thesis of this show <laughs> yeah. is there's certain things we just can't talk about. Yeah. And the current political situation uh, while you can make a case like the Democrats have the House and they have the Senate and they have the presidency, the fact that they can't actually do anything really meaningful because of a handful of people here and there just shows you how broken the whole thing is. Oh, yeah. 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 And there's no funny spin to do on that. So no. thankfully, we're not doing it happened one year. 2021. Oh, no. Except would... that's the lives we're living. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. That's just our every day. We just yeah. be yelling all the time, which is yeah. basically what it's like in our apartment. I mean, it's it's not not like that. So, uh, you know, as things have uh, shifted recently and our current situations have changed just just recently yeah. uh, due to the pandemic and due to our you know situations, uh, it is becoming a little harder to find the, the happy spins on things. So that's why I thought it would be fun to mention the likes of Levi Woodbury and Horace Gray. <laughs> just fun, hilarious yeah. figures from back in the day. We got to talk about copyright law. We got wow. to talk about uh, uh, what Breyer actually lists as his specialization, which is administrative law. Ooh, this is a boring guy. Exciting. And his wife, what does his wife do? She sleeps a lot. She's a, she's she a psychologist. Oh, I don't know. She doesn't have her own Wikipedia page, but she is the, a member of the British aristocracy, the youngest oh, right. daughter of the first Viscount Blackenham, John Hare. Oh, Blackenham, you say? Yeah, Black Blakenham, Blakenham. Oh. So, but she's not in. But I don't know how the peerage works. She can't become like a, a lord or something, or have a seat in the house, can she? I have no idea. I don't. I I didn't even really mean to bring this up because I just don't understand exactly how this works. Like Christopher Guest, the comedian, he's technically part of the peerage in England because he's like yeah. a, his father or somebody is was a lord or something. So like. But somehow he's entitled to that. I don't know if he actually does it, but I don't yeah. know how it works generationally down. And if these titles pass to people. So like Stephen Breyer can't retire and then move to England and and start, you know, ruling on whatever people who should own livestock or whatever the hell the peerage does. Yeah. Over there. Well, here's where I think the difference is. I don't know if this is true. She does not have a Wikipedia page, but she is listed as honorable Joanna oh. Frida Hare. But his her father's seat was succeeded by her brother. So she's a oh. lady. I imagine that restricts her rights because everything does restrict sure. her rights because uh, she does have a brother. And, so. and she does have that vagina. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which often gets in the way. That's usually holding you back. And yep. when it comes to these sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. This harkens back to, I want to say, Michael Moore, Michael Moore, Michael Morris. Does it? Because Michael Morris was actually like a lord, right? Oh, remember that? He was. Oh, Vaguely. I wish I still had that. I wish I still had that in my mind. What episode was that? Like episode four? <laughs> Lord Killinan. That Remember, that was his name. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. 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 I do remember that. That was Michael Morris. So, uh, you know, it's good that we could again talk about the crazy, you know, British wig system or whatever they have over there. Yeah. William Cushing 
the last of the justices to wear a wig. That's a true story. <laughs> well, I'm glad we had this time together. You know, we when we talked about even doing this episode, I was a little concerned that it was going to be dry. And then we sort of, you know, ended up finding, well, we could talk about the seat and talk about the yeah. different things. But I didn't realize that Stephen Breyer himself seems to be so just catastrophically boring. So boring. You know what I should do? I think what we should do with this episode is submit it to the Calm Act as a sleep story. Oh, that's a good idea. The Calm yeah. app, not the act. The Calm Act. It was the Calm <laughs> Act of 2021. Yeah. yeah How yeah. people could sleep during the pandemic. Exactly. Yeah. Unclear. Yeah. Good idea. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier that Stephen Breyer was in the Army. He was in the Army Reserves. He was. Uh, we didn't get to talk about, I think the one thing we talked about before recording this show was uh, when he was uh, out battling with the Army Reserves, did he do a bunch of judicial style puns while he was fighting his, his enemies? I believe that he did. So could you give us a few of those, uh, his lines when he would be facing down an enemy and he needed a, the good one-liner, like a Stallone 80s style one-liner? To cap off the moment. I think the one that I kept thinking of, which I already used on you earlier, was it does not please the court. (laughs) (laughs) Ruling for the defense. Boom. (laughs) Courts adjourned. (laughs) This was our preparatory conversation, making up Stephen Breyer (laughs) war puns. Even he wasn't in the war. Come on. How do you plead? (laughs) Guilty. Guilty on all counts. <laughs> uh, well, I hope they make the biography someday. And I don't know, Adam Driver plays Breyer. I don't know. <laughs> Be a good Stephen Breyer at this point. He is 83. I, yeah. I think he was only in the Army Reserves. I don't know anything about the Army, but I think that just means that you like go to a couple meetings. Like, I don't yeah. think you actually have to do anything. <laughs> Look, I don't want to run down the Army Reserves. I have no idea who those people are. But. Yeah. If they make this biography, I would say you could probably dress it up. We could have Clint play Stephen Breyer like right now, like oh, Clint's yeah. 90, but he could walk in at Stephen Breyer 40 years ago. Totally. I think totally. he could just do that. So, yeah, he did spend Breyer did spend six months uh, active duty on the military intelligence corps. Oh, whatever that means. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Oh, their, their logo is always out front. So oh. I guess he was in the front. Good. You know You're what, welcome. this guy, this is just, that's it. I think we've that's done, it. I think we've done too much on Steven. Yeah. yeah. If you could cut like half of this, that would be great. I'll cut what I can. Do you want me to talk about his time with the U.S. Department of Justice's Antitrust Division? <laughs> okay, everybody. Well, thanks for tuning in. It's been uh, a wild ride back through history and a really kind of tepid ride through the modern day with Stephen Brown. Uh, we're not even going to do an outro. Do you want to do the outro? No. <laughs> you know what? Neither do I. Thanks, everybody. Bye. This has been It Happened One Year. Please take a minute to rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever they allow ratings. Please follow us on Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please follow us on all relevant and irrelevant social media. See ya! The Honorable, the Chief Justice, and the Associate Justices of the Supreme Court of the United States. Oh, yay, oh, yay.